This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, we got a couple guests, and we have a theme that we've hit on before, and we're going to come back to because I think it's actually a really important one. It is. There's a lot to unpack with this. There's layer upon layer. I've been in it for like the past few months, and it's uh, there's so many dimensions and conflicting pieces of information and a little hypocrisy. And I, I, we're going to dive into it today and try to get further than, than we did in the last one. And it's not your personality that we're talking about. We're talking about <laughs> ESG. It's pretty good. And, nice one. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, you're, you're on today. Environmental, social, government, governance. Uh, ESG assets, where are they? Uh, they're underwhelming, at least in ETFs, maybe about $20 billion, $22 billion. That's about 0.5% of the assets. Compared to the press they get, that's not a lot. Because it gets a lot of press. It does get a lot of press. And But there's what we want to do is break down into two levels today, just two things. First is looking at the high level. BlackRock and Vanguard have a lot of voting power. Larry Fink came out talking about wants to get more green with things. So we'll talk huge, about- Huge, right? Yeah. That's a huge announcement. Yeah. They're the two biggest- uh, for almost every S&P 500 company, they're the two biggest voters. Uh, there's, there's some stuff to unpack with that. That's like the macro level. Then we'll shift to the micro level, which is, okay, there's all these ESG ETFs. How do you make sense of them? Uh, what are the pros and cons? And we'll sort of try to go through uh, you know, how to do due diligence on those. And to help us do that, we've got Annie Massa from Bloomberg News, a regular, Graham Sinclair, who's on Twitter as at ESG Architect. He's been on the on the show before. And a first-timer, Shaheen Contractor, who's an analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. This is also a big week at Bloomberg and a perfect one for this episode because we've launched a new vertical called Bloomberg Green. Go to Bloomberg.com slash green, which is going to be the new go-to destination for all kinds of great stories about climate change, all backed by data. There's some amazing stories already, and the tools are just going to be sensational. You can follow us on Twitter also there, at Climate. This time on Trillions, everything is ESG. Annie, how big of a deal was this BlackRock announcement? Or what was it? What was your joke? I called it the PR coup. (laughs) <laughs> it definitely drew a lot more attention, even a lot more attention than usual. Uh, that and la- what was the announcement? So the announcement that happened was Larry Fink came out with his annual letters to see, letter to CEOs. And he generally uses this as a way to come up with some big message for the year. In the past, he said, you should pursue purpose and profits at the same time. This year, he decided to go big with this message on climate change. And he told CEOs that every single business is going to be affected by climate change, and they should all be really thinking about that theme. 
And alongside that message, he put out this note to clients that laid out exactly how BlackRock will address climate change in its own business. And that includes both active and passive products. Let's break this down real quick. What really is going on here? Of course, there's the nice letter. He cares. He's been under pressure a little bit. But what are they actually doing that will is real? So they laid out a couple of things that they will do that are concrete. In their active funds, they will oh, they will divest from thermal coal producers, for example. So that's one step. On the passive side, though, it's where it gets a lot more tricky. Really tricky because as an index provider and player, like they basically have to do what the index tells them to do. Yeah, and this has always been BlackRock's kind of pushback on um, ESG themes. They've said, well, we can only do so much because we're a provider of passive products. We don't dictate what's in an index, and we're a fiduciary. So when a client tells us to you know, put a certain amount of money in an S&P 500 tracking fund, we have to do that. We can't play around with uh, what's in that index. So so this is a company that has two-thirds of its AUM in passive products. It does have some ideas for what to do on the passive product side when it comes to ESG. So they're going to double their lineup of um, ESG ETFs, for example, to 150 products. The question is, will the investor money follow? And that's uh, really what we're going to hit in a second is there's now going to be hundreds of ESG ETFs. Um, let's go to the active divestment. And I want to bring in Shaheen. Shaheen, talk about um, you analyze the coal companies like Peabody. There's a couple mm-hmm. of them that BlackRock is going to pull out of in their active mutual funds. Can you talk about exactly what we're talking about here in terms of their ownership and what percentage of that is active? Of course. So this message that BlackRock puts across, first of all, is a strong message, but it has very limited impact because at the end of the day, as you mentioned, BlackRock is a large passive investor. So about if you actually look at the data, about 90% of BlackRock's holdings and coal companies are passively held. So these will remain untouched. 90. Just to, 90, just to yeah. note, ETF and mutual fund data, so not its institutional money. That could change things. But still, largely untouched. Graham, ESG is your whole world. What did you think of Larry Fink's message? Uh, I'd start very quickly by uh, skating back a year and a fantastic interview at Davos uh, where Larry Fink was kind of grilled when he came out with his purpose letter. And remembering, too, for your audience, uh, he'd already done three years before that where he focused a lot on, uh, a lot on long-term investing. Um, so I just saw that as the next logical step. Although given some of his comments from January 2019, uh, a little surprised on how far it had come. Subsequently, yesterday, there was a great interview on Bloomberg Live where he unpacked some of his reasoning. He went fishing in Alaska and a whole bunch of stuff happened in December. For me, it, uh, very quickly, I need to drill down to the footnotes and look at the details. I'm checking the receipts. Yeah. First of all, uh, it's the distinction between the passive and active sides of their business. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, according to their self-reporting, $100 billion in active last year, they've got a decent-sized business. Anyone would love that business. But it's still the smaller part of what BlackRock is famous for. Um, Secondly, if you look at the line items, it's thermal coal, but it's uh, 25% or more in revenue. So there's enough wiggle room there for businesses that are kind of uh, changing the shape of their business. For me, the bigger part of what they're saying, including comments by their vice chairman and and other uh, people who are representing them, is these words around finance has fundamentally changed. Climate risk is on a par with every other thematic and concept that we're going to be looking at. So I think philosophically as a house, 
to be sending those messages is almost more important than saying thermal coal at 25 or 10 or 80 or, or, or what have you. And Annie, let's talk about if you are holding a iShares or Vanguard passive fund, you're going to hold Exxon, but you're going to hold Apple. You're going to hold all of it, right? You wrote something before the BlackRock article about Vanguard and BlackRock and voting. They are going to have some some power in their voting. And can you talk a little bit about any plans they have to change how they vote on some of these issues that come up at these companies? That's right. We wrote in our story uh, last year that the scrutiny around the voting practices of BlackRock and Vanguard has really stepped up in the past couple of years. And you see nonprofits like Majority Action running analyses showing that um, they tend to vote relative to their asset management peers. They tend to vote more in line with management at um, fossil fuel companies, for instance, tend to vote against shareholder proposals that are around um, climate change type issues. So the big question, while the activist community has been happy that you have this symbolic message coming from Larry Fink, the big question is, will they change their voting practices accordingly and we'll have to wait for the next proxy season to really see how it will affect their voting practices. And what about the investor reaction? Because that's obviously going to be, you know, the the one that they're, you know, BlackRock's going to really be listening yeah. to. Yeah, and not everybody lives in Manhattan and agrees on all these issues, right? Uh, take guns, for example. Or Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah, or Berkeley. Um, there's a couple of little hot spots there, fun places to go. But not everybody lives there. Their investors are all over. They got investors in Texas, Alabama. I think that's a really good point, right? Like you, uh, if you're BlackRock, you basically are trying to create like this massive vanilla product that yeah. everybody can use. You're like the president in a way. You have to take in all these constituents. A certain president, a certain type of president. Uh, yeah. But, but, but what, what, right. So how does let's, that? How does it go over with investors? That thread. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. BlackRock has just by virtue of being BlackRock, it has so many different kinds of clients. And you're absolutely right. Not every type of client is going to be happy with this message that Fink is even sending or even change its behavior accordingly. So that comes back to the idea that there's only so much BlackRock can do, especially when it comes to index products. They can offer all kinds of index products that have ESG values. The question will be whether investors respond to that. And, um, you know, Fink has said that they they did this. They they came up with this, these changes related to climate change as a result of client interest. But we still have to see to what extent the assets follow. I was really interested in, in the comments uh, when he did the Bloomberg Live interview from Davos. He said you know, maybe 10, maybe 20 percent of his investor base, and he mentioned clearly global investor base, were asking these questions. So there's clearly demand. You know, when one in five clients are saying, hey, what do we do? And to be clear, they didn't say, you must do A, B, or C. They said, this is a big ticket item. You know, in, in my view, climate change is, overshadows all other uh, business strategies for the foreseeable future. But these investors were saying, you're BlackRock. You're the experts in investment, especially you've been telling us about long-term investment and corporate governance and purpose and so on. We've got this big ticket item. We need help. You're our go-to vendor. What's the plan here? What are you going to do for us? Exactly. Well, I mean, let's just – how much does this really matter? Uh, BlackRock, whether they buy the stock of this Peabody or sell it, isn't really what's going to get change is consumers demanding or changing their ways and not demanding oil-based products or coal and or regulation. Aren't those really the way things? Because let's say you don't buy, let's say BlackRock divests from Peabody, 
isn't another investor going to maybe make out on that because now the stock's undervalued because of this artificial reason they're selling? Look, there'll definitely be pricing pressures. There's some uh, commentators already uh, pointed to the divergence between oil price and the price of the energy sector as the first inklings of there's long-term money out there, there's institutional money out there. They're not so keen to hear the story about, hey, there'll be oil forever and we're the best producer, we'll find you a, a, another field and execute it most efficiently. So there's already, you know, at the margin, yes, it will matter when a significant investor says, we've got all these opportunities, you're over here, you've got too many complications, you've got too much baggage and too many issues, I'm going to overweight in, in, in this sector. Yeah, but again, that just makes the price of the stock go down. They could still make a ton of money because people could still keep demanding oil flying all over the place. Like, isn't that the root? Isn't if we're going to do a root canal here, don't we need to get to demand? Oh, oh, absolutely. But uh, uh, don't divorce uh, investor demand from consumer demand. There's all these pieces. These all stakeholders in the community. So <laughs> when the regulators say, "Well, you can no longer pollute here," then that's going to change the the cost of doing business. When you have got consumers are saying, "I don't like this product anymore. It's got too much sugar in it. It's got too much salt in it. It's got too much hydrocarbons in it." Change your product mix. Then they'll change it. But the the voice of the investor is a very significant long-term strategic voice. So one comment at a board meeting from an investor is worth, I don't know how many thousands of consumer investors. But it does remind me of a question I asked in 2004, uh, 2005 of Hannah Jones, who was heading up sustainability at Nike. I know one of your favorite sustainability topics, Eric. And I asked that fundamental question. Are you more afraid of the activist consumer or the activist investor? And her answer was... I'm going to say investor. No, unfortunately not. (laughs) The activist consumer who triggers all the other parts of the puzzle, Mm -hmm. right? So, so for example, as It's weird that setup. I I almost was sure he's... Yeah. Yeah. You're very good. There was no tell there at all. He's done that before. (laughs) They talk about tables, stakes. I'm here to play. Uh, To land with, we spoke about NGOs and the influence they have, right? As you saw, awesome, small little NGO out on the West Coast, San Francisco, underpaid. They do a ton of research. They track proxy voting. They've been tracking Vanguard and BlackRock over the 2018 proxy season, 25th of February, the 2019 report will come out. Uh, They've basically called those big fund houses outliers in being so poor at voting their proxies. Now, some people will argue, yeah, we have conversations you know, behind the curtain and we have cups of tea over here, but it doesn't really matter what the... Pro- no, it matters. At the end of the day, a vote goes through and if Vanguard or State Street or Blackout, one of the huge houses, especially in the passive side, aren't voting those proxies to deal with, uh, in this case, they're looking at executive pay, which is way out of whack, um, then, then we've got a big problem systemically. To land with, in Davos, of course it's going to be awkward. You have Larry Fink speaking and his colleagues and so on. He's probably going to be shaking hands with the CEO of the 100 biggest companies in the world. It's going to be a little awkward. And he says, about that pay package uh, last year, you know, we really need to dial that down. But that's the role of the investor. And, you know, I, I don't know if you disagree uh, uh, on executive pay, but it's clearly out of kilter with what companies well, are delivering. That's been one of the other things that has been, uh, you know, a talking point uh, about how passive lets society down, I guess. Right. Well, so well I, let me riff off of this with what Joel said, because. As somebody who has been tracking passive and is so sensitive to how brutal investors are about driving their costs down, everybody wants all their investments for like three or four basis points now. I mean, and now they want all this on top of it. The media is dumping on them. I kind of feel a little for them because 
how much can they build out a corporate governance team that can look through all these statements and vote in certain meticulous ways that are aligned with their investor when they're being squeezed to compete with Vanguard or Vanguard itself at two, three basis points? I mean, there's just not that much money. Yeah, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. And BlackRock really does promote its stewardship team as part of its whole effort to like engage with companies, they say, behind the scenes. They say this is the biggest stewardship team anywhere. It's 45 people for, you know, thousands of companies worldwide. So that's where you get critics that say, how can you possibly meaningfully tackle these issues behind the scenes with so many companies to cover, um, you know, even with a, a team that big? So that's something that they've come under fire with on the activist side. But uh, Back on the PR side, I would really say that Fink has been followed around by activists and and there's been this increasing drumbeat of agitation. So I think that as far as this message goes that he sent, it will at least help, uh, you know, offer an olive branch to those kinds of protesters who are, you know, are showing up outside his speaking engagements, outside BlackRock offices. And I think that by sending this message, BlackRock is at least trying to say, hey, like, we're trying to be on your side. And that feels to me more like activist consumers than activist investors. Right. So, Graham, maybe maybe Mm. you're onto something there. Okay, so another place that uh, pressure could come down is on the index providers, Annie. What what about that? That's right. One other piece of the passive um, plan that Fink laid out uh, for climate change is to to pressure the index providers. Those are like the MSCIs of the world to create. Which BlackRock basically almost licenses. Yes, they're a customer of MSCIs. They use those MSCI indexes for their index products. And... And this is where they said they'll they'll start to apply more pressure to the indexers to create more sustainable um, indexes, which would allow them to make more sustainable products as well. Does that also mean that there might be more self-indexing? Because that's another place that BlackRock could say, hey, we could just do this ourselves. We don't even need you. That will be really interesting to watch. They've always raised, like, there could be problems with self-indexing. We don't, we don't want to go too far down that road necessarily, but it will be an interesting Leverage. one to watch. Leverage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it will it will be really um, interesting to see if, if they decide to pursue that well, more, if the index providers don't uh, fall in line. Well, you know, MSCI, S&P, they have a whole suite of different types of uh, uh, ESG indexes. That's not really the issue. The issue is the main indexes, like the S&P 500. Do you ever change that? Because that's beta, and I think a lot of people probably won't don't want that changed. But the good news is there are options. You could just use something that's a little, like barely, um, it's like the S&P with a little less fossil fuel. And then you keep going into waves till you're down to maybe something that's really aggressively ESG. Right. But, I mean, one thing that's really interesting is back when MSCI and the index providers were, were trying to come down and exclude um, dual-class shares, uh, share, companies with dual-class shares from indexes, BlackRock actually came out and said, it's not on the index providers to say what the investable universe should be. And so this seems like a bit of a reversal in that way. So just one point to add on sort of investor versus consumer demand is don't underestimate the impact that an investor has on a company's cost of capital. I mean, that's what's happened to coal. It's this mix of demand pressure, but also investors, insurers saying they're not going to underwrite such assets. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. 
Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Yeah, guys, I'd like to pick up on what Annie was speaking uh, about around the BlackRock announcement. There's much to be admired about it. Uh, it's signaling. It's important. They're going to make internal changes. That's great. They've got 45 heads. Uh, Larry actually promised, Fink, <laughs> promised in January last year there'd be 71. They're still hiring. You know, throw your resume there. Um, but on, uh, I think the, the, the comment around the indexes, uh, th- that's a bit soft because, as Eric pointed out earlier, indexes will build you whatever you want. That's my business. I'm an ESG architect. Someone walks through the door. They say, build me an index, uh, the shape of a strategy that looks like this. I'm going to figure it out. Right now, I'm working at Harvard uh, on an Arctic strategy. How are we going to build an Arctic strategy using five sectors in the geography? So uh, the the comment on the indexes, uh, index construction uh, vendors, I don't really buy that. Um, but it is very, very significant that a major player is saying this is core to what we're doing, and it's going to affect what we're doing across the house. Now, how do we check that, as Annie suggested, at the end of the proxy season? Don't you worry. Every NGO that's tracking this and any cynic, like some of the people in the room here, are going to be saying, huh, so what? So how, how did it play out? And then there's also going to be the aspect of what happens in the marketplace. I don't know if you saw the news about a quick spike in the ETF inflows the day after or the day of the announcement. I don't know if that was timed. I don't know if there was a partner going in with money. Well, once, once I, I know commitment. what happened there. Yeah. This wasn't a bunch of millennials who got excited about Larry Fink's letter and all bought into ESG because they were excited. Was it balance sheet money? No, BlackRock has mo- ETF models, and okay. they just put ESG ETFs into the emerging markets and the U.S. slug, and that right there was uh, $2.5 billion. Uh, so that's BlackRock's doing. Yeah. It still counts, yeah. but that's not that's different. That said, we did look. There was about 20 ESG ETFs that have taken in money this month. So there's... The grassroots is there. It's just tiny little pieces of grass. Uh, BlackRock moving in that kind of money is, is more fertilizer. Of a deal. Yeah, it's here fertilizer. Comes, here comes the fertilizer. Yeah. So, so here's why it's strategic. It's a whole new field, frankly. More than that is because one of the promises about 150 new ETFs is they're basically cloning. You want it? Do you want it green or brown? So that is a big deal. When you go and buy your Cheerios, how many types of Cheerios are there? I'm a parent. I know you are. How many types of Cheerios? Only one. Ten. That's, a, that's an ideological <laughs> position with yeah. Bloomberg. We need to be more yeah. open-minded. I, you know, I think Coke is a better. There's Diet Coke, Zero Coke, Vanilla Coke, free. Cherry Coke. Yeah. This, and so these are all. Good, they're going to be all these versions of the S and P. There's the twenty. Uh, yeah. Excuse me. There are twenty flavors of Cheerios, uh-huh. and there's one type of candy bar. He wants to go back bar. to Cheerios. Thank you. <laughs> Especially because General I love Mills. The cereal. General yeah. Mills back the bees. Remember? Do you remember the Cheerios yeah, box? Sure. Yeah, it's because that was an important social message. That's why landing with there'll be clones of everything. That's uh, that's awesome. But then what happens next? That's what we're watching. For. Okay. Right. So, and, so, and and who cares? Like, um, are people going to uh, migrate? From the S&P to the S&P fossil fuel. So far, not too much. And I think that brings us to our second uh, part of the conversation. And just on that, I've already heard whispers uh, from Hanea Worth's side, who's saying he's seen some of the BlackRock models that he's got clients in have already flipped over. Well, that's so what I just all, said. That was the money that you're... Yeah. So as those play out, as everyone does their quarterly yeah. updates, that's going to be very interesting to watch. Okay. So we started by saying that there's relatively little assets under management in this space. Graham, how many more products do you think we're about to see enter the field? And what's that going to do from an AUM standpoint? So last time I was visiting with you, gentlemen, I said any shop, 
is trying to launch an ETF strategy. It's part of the asset gathering for 2019. It'll continue to be for 2020. Maybe even because of this announcement, they're going to ramp it and push it forward. So any shop is looking to roll out ETFs. If they've got any inkling of a marketing analysis and timing, they will figure the trend and map to, we need an ESG version of whatever we're going to roll out before. EM, growth, what have you. Choose your thematic. So, so your phone's ringing. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. um, I'd just like to remind the team, though, again, uh, ESG, environment, social governance. There's environmental, social, and governance factors in every investment decision. And bring it all back to, this is what they put on the label, that's a marketing decision. Every investment on planet Earth relying on humans and the rule of the law has ESG in it. What BlackRock has done and helped realize and put on the front page and have us talking about today is they just reminding people that it's in there and now we're going to take it seriously. The more interesting question is, if, especially if you're having a grumpy afternoon, is, hey guys, what did you do for the last 20 years? Lord Stern did his paper in 2007 about the cost of climate change and how we're going to adapt for that. Uh, if you any kind of long-term investor, you've been watching this play out. And Larry Frank talks about, we're institutional investors, we're trying to pull forward risk and deal with it now so we can mitigate through it. Many questions have to be asked. Is like, Well, we saw this coming 10, 15 years ago. So... The solution is there's all these alternatives for people who want to do it, right? So we've got, if you want numbers here, it's about 100, I want numbers. 100 ESG ETFs. With BlackRock, there could be 150 by the end of the year. If, if all, But with the 100, there's only about 20 billion in assets. That's 200 million per ETF. Just to give you an idea of how low that is, the average is about 1.1 billion for all ETFs. But categories like growth value, like growth, there's 4 billion per ETF, so 200 million tells you there's too much product for the assets. Now, and, now, a, and now there's going to be more product. There's going to be more product. So Shaheen, why don't you talk about um, all the product out there? Part of uh, Shaheen and my job is to sort of sift through them. What's your take on just how good of a job these products do? Sure. So that, that's, an, that's a great question on sort of these assets being very small. And I guess the ETF world when it comes to ESG is getting divided into two things. One is these large asset managers like BlackRock. One is these small thematic niche strategies. And that's where it gets interesting because what's interesting is this surge in assets. So it's, it's the delta. Now assets have doubled. But with that are going to come its challenges like you mentioned. It's going to be more liquidation, more sort of the big expensive guys crowding out these small ones like you mentioned. So we saw that last year and we think we're going to see it continue. I will say that one thing that's helped ESG assets double last year was a lot of them got cheap. Vanguard yes. and BlackRock have all come in under 20 basis points, which is like that magic number. Um, and that all almost all the money goes to those. Because I, I do think to, to Graham's point is like if you put a green product and a brown product next to each other and you play up what's in it, I do think that the consumer is going to say, eh, pretty easy for me to take the green, especially when cost is flat. Okay, let me challenge this. This is my big thing. I've been on this like a dog on a bone for the last three months. What's in it? What isn't in it? Okay. Okay, so we looked at SUSA. This is the MSCI ESG Social Index. That This one has been around 15 years. So it's the only ESG ETF, one of a couple that have been around a long time. It's trailed the S&P by about 35 percentage points. Why? Well, it tracks the 100 best scoring ESG stocks. That's fine, right? But it doesn't have Amazon, doesn't have uh, uh, Netflix, MasterCard. So there's a lot of hot, hot shot. Those have all returned over a thousand percent in the past ten years. So, and this is something I find through and through. Um, take something, and there's many other examples. You'll look, you'll be like, why is Nike 
right in the top 10, yet Berkshire Hathaway is in literally none? Um, or why is Facebook in here? Um, but then you have a company like, um, I don't know, that you might, Netflix isn't. And there's a lot of questions on what gets in and what gets out. Graham, I mean, what do you think of this? I mean, is this going to be baffling to people? Because you have to recognize most people have images of companies. I don't argue Apple's image isn't that great, but that's in like all that makes it into most of them. Also, as an investor, like I don't want to miss out on the thousand percent returns as part of an index. Yeah, who right? doesn't want Amazon? But Amazon's like bad. Like they have they are in the dirty dozen, right, Shaheen? So they get excluded from a lot. So uh, there's no easy answer. It's complex. So picture a graphic equalizer. Yeah, you're music guys. This is why I listen to Trillions. It's for the music references. Yeah. So it's it's complicated like an equalizer. Even ESG. What song are you thinking about right now while you're doing How that? How soon as now? How soon as now, <laughs> brother? Okay. With, with we'll that awesome uh, guitar intro, you hear that in any club anywhere around the world. You know what's coming. Okay, so bring me you back run to, your to the equalizer. dance floor. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's coming. <laughs> um, so, so ESG in itself is a simplification, so we can put a handle on this complexity of sustainability. Why is, why is it complex? Because the world is complex. Everyone just calm down, okay? Any investment decision, you're just trying to make a simplification, a buy, hold, sell decision based on the complexity of many things you can put your money into, yeah? including your kid's career. So, so when it comes to environment, social governance factors, there's always going to be complexity. In the same way that your motor vehicle is complex, for example, or your iPhone is, I bet there are features on your iPhone you haven't even found yet, yeah? So does it do what you need it to do is going to be one of the fundamental questions that are asked. This is why we love ETFs as a methodology. Big fan, I'm a big fan of ETFs as a technology. They help, you know, they roll things back to the asset allocator level where you can make some of these investment decisions and then implement them at lowest cost with the greatest diversity and great transparency, which is a core tenant of anything around ESG. You said that better than Eric could. Um, it was pretty good. Yeah, but not. I, I mean, thank you. <laughs> I'm a South African clone. You know, something happened over the Atlantic. I'm not clear. No, you hit we, your we'll, stride there. It was very well, yeah, eloquently yeah. put. Thank you. We, we'll try. So, so when we think of a motor vehicle, some people just want something to get you from A to B. Okay, I want to get from A to B with zero tailpipe emissions. Yeah, so I'm able to go in a different direction. I want automated. I want the best software on the planet. I have that. I'm able to buy that particular vehicle. So there's going to be some humans who just, and their advisors, frankly, because the first sale is to the advisor, who are just going to say, you want global exposure? Great. I know this is important to you. You have a child with special needs, what have you, or uh, your dad was treated poorly at the factory, what have you. It's very important to hear about fair wages or you know, childhood education and so on. You know that there's a tilt for that, and the tilt is blah, blah, uh, particularly ETF. So I think that, think of it there in terms of the opportunities that are available. Uh, uh, and one of my favorite things that I, I know Eric is looking to track, and maybe it'll be a future episode for you, is the ETF gra graveyard, yeah, like the Ben & Jerry's graveyard up in Vermont. And there's going to be a long list of these ESG-branded ETFs that no longer, no longer live. There's a graveyard for Ben & Jerry flavors? Oh, you got to come, yeah. What? What does that look like? Oh, uh, it's just, you know, first they'll talk about it, then they'll take you. But literally, a there's, a, there's a piece That's of a ground metaphor. near Burlington. I'll show you up there. You know, zero tail pipe emissions. We'll get you up there on a given day. There's also a great interview. He drove a Tesla and took a train, so he went full Greta to get here. And I appreciate that. No planes. And walked. You're going to live it, I'll man. listen you gotta now. You're going to live it. Cheers. Um, um, but uh, Alec Baldwin does this great interview on Here's the Thing with Ben and Jerry's where they explain some of how that came to be. It's a great episode. I'm always here for the ETF graveyard. Um, let's just talk about this. There's, Shaheen, two camps of ESG. There's one where they just try to carve out 
a little bit and keep you close to the S&P, which I think is probably better if you're looking to clean up your portfolio, sleep at night kind of deal, because it won't deviate too much. But then there's one that aggressively go after ESG. It is kind of hard sometimes to tell the difference based on the name. Can you talk about this and uh, you know the idea that you're supposed to like replace your whole equity position with one of these products, which is why I really stress due diligence, because if you're thinking of selling your Vanguard 500 to buy one of these, man, you better know what you're doing and really look through the holdings. Yeah. So so that's an interesting point. So there are two sort of schools of thoughts with investors, one who just want track, who just want minimal tracking error. And that's where different kind of strategies come in. Just so, for example, a low carbon index is literally almost going to replicate your main parent index. So actually, uh, the government pension, the chief investment officer said, okay, low tracking error, I can stomach that. I don't mind moving a bunch of my money into that. But then you have the flip side, people who actually truly believe that ESG is going to outperform, they don't want that minimal tracking error. They actually want that tracking error. So it depends on the strategy, the school of thought, all these different things. But what we see, lower tracking error, typically it is cheaper. So potentially money is going to flow into these cheaper things. Of the potential audience for this, where do you see more of it? The people who want to just clean up their portfolio and track the market pretty much, just maybe carve out some of the carbon and whatnot? Or do you see people really putting more money in because they think really this is going to be the way to outperform? I think in the short term, you're going to get a lot of people moving from A to B. They, they want to go to the less brown versions. I also think there's a huge untapped demand, almost Model 3 style, 400K reservations within a week. There's a huge untapped demand for investors who can, uh, investment houses who can say, I've got this new widget. And it's heading in this whole new direction. And we've set it up, and here's your entry point, and you don't need a huge ticket size. We've kept costs low. I think there's huge unmet uh, uh, demand uh, for any investment houses who can figure that, all the way down, frankly, to a little piece of an impact fund uh, in, in there in some way. More people want urgent answers. It's a question of speed. And the reframing of what's happening in the climate space, for example, it's not, is it real? Everyone knows it's real. Check the science. If you can't read, it's not my fault. It's a question of speed. You're either going to be slow, and then we'll still miss it, or you're going to be fast. We're going to hurry up and get there, and we're going to have to hustle because we're already late and behind schedule. So there's more, there's more need and there's more opportunity, I would say. There's unmet demand for new and aggressive green strategies. So I want to bring that back to a thing that you brought up the last time we had you on, which was the amount of alpha that might be trapped in these strategies and the potential for investors to get on that. Talk about how an investor might approach alpha through the ESG lens. Alpha through the ESG lens, the first appreciation of that is understanding you're comparing apples and oranges, always and from the beginning, because you're adding a new factor, third dimension, risk, return, now we're looking at impact. So we're adding a third dimension to how you look at investments. So even before you start your due diligence and lead yourself down to executing on whatever fun technology you're looking to do, you're looking at things differently, which means if there is a conventional index out there, your answer, your number may be wrong over time. So for example, um, the uh, iShares uh, KLD uh, ticker that changed in 2017 that, that uh, Eric uh, DSI or yeah, su- was it, that SUSA? 
SUSA. Yes, yeah. uh, SUSA. Okay. That, that, that changed in 2017. That actually began as this experiment on way, uh, 1 May 1990 in Cambridge, Mass., where there was a, a shop that said, hey, what if we tracked a different group of uh, companies and how would we do it? They took the 500, cut it to 250, uh, um, uh, rolled it up to uh, 400 total companies. And that's why some of the companies, the constituents, are so different because they make active index selection decisions on this company less better than this company, therefore in or out. So so we had an index that tracked over time. Now, in some periods it outperformed the 500, and some periods it underperformed. There was immediately a mismatch because there's 400 companies placed 500, yeah? So fundamentally, uh, when it comes to uh, ESG Alpha, there's going to be periods of outperformance and underperformance. Any ESG product last year that did not have ExxonMobil looks fantastic. If it had some of the solar and wind uh, assets, they look fantastic last year. I'm not going to predict what happens going forward. So... Uh, I like to shatter the myth you're going to underperform because of ESG. You may outperform, you may underperform. There's a whole lot of factors that go into that performance argument. But the thing to definitely shatter is looking at ESG factors, including that in your investment decision, developing the strategy is going to lead to underperformance. That is a myth. You need to shatter that. So I'll just add to that level of nuance that is there. It's not about outperforming or underperforming. In fact, we do see that ESG tends to outperform during market downturns. So it's got this risk mitigation angle to it, but it underperforms during a bull market. So to your point, Eric, on Amazon and all this underperformance, it's not the opportunity side, although when it comes to clean energy and things, we are moving towards that. But traditionally, it's been more of a risk mitigation. Yeah. And that um, in SUSA's case, the vol was about the same, but that was only 100 stocks. But yeah, I mean, I've heard that and we try to track the standard deviation. That's another field you can look at if you're looking at one of these things. But one other thing I have, and, and this is just brings up some of my tweets about Davos and the private jets and all this is, you know, if you do, if I polled people, um, you know, some people are, are okay not owning an Amazon. They're like, it's worth it. But then of the people who weren't okay, who were, who were okay not owning Amazon, only a fifth of them were willing not to shop there. Four fifths were going to not own it and yet shop there. Help me with the hypocrisy, because there's that, then there's just, you still drive your car, you, you're not going to stop your vacations to Disney World. Um, how much of this is just like the organic avocado that you pay double for at Whole Foods? It's really just to feel good without having to do much, which is frequently called slacktivism. Take your time. Am, am I the bad Can guy? I'm sorry. It's, just, I, it's my observation. Should I go on that? Eric, yeah, is go the, Eric is the number one guy I want at a cocktail party. Right? He's my wingman for 2020. Oh, oh my God. That's fine. They throw me out the window. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so, so I think that that is some amount of sort of, what do you, what did you, what is, what do you Feel do? good effect? Feel good effect about Slacktivism. this. Slacktivism. Okay. Uh, but there are still two schools of thoughts, right? One school who thinks that ESG is just a better investment. It's a risk mitigant. So they... They don't care about their personal life or what they do. They just see it as an investment objective. It's like saying, as a value investor, would you only shop discounted items? It's, yeah. it's, it's like that. In that case, I made it's more for the people who are supposed to be cleaning up yeah, and like yeah, uh, yeah. De, you know, look, uh, look, sleeping at night kind of thing. TV and Pickens was pitching wind energy before exited. Texas is the biggest wind energy state in the U.S. I mean, there's so many opportunities. There's so much work we have to do around climate and sustainability. Um Yes, absolutely. Humans make a terrible mess of this one planet we live on. 
I would love to see them aligning better what they say with what they do. I want what they do to be less brown, more green. I want fewer SUVs, more bicycles, all those things heading in a direction. Please be at my cocktail parties and ask those <laughs> awkward questions because, no, I, I agree with Eric. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you go to the car park, someone will walk in and they'll buy the organic groceries out to their SUV, which, by the way, was idling because they wanted to be warm when they came in. That's yep. a feature that my Tesla handled, by the way. And, and so, absolutely, we're Leo need to on call his yacht. We're Tom York going on like world tours with all the equipment they got to lug around. Okay, no, but in fairness, Chris Martin said, we're not touring this album. I, I, I like that. That was fat. That's why I like Greta. Greta took. She sailed. It's she took a ship. Like three yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. But so, like, but so like Larry Fink doesn't have time for that, and that's where I think some of the hypocrisy. It's tough for me not to see it. I can't unsee that. Eric at a cocktail party. What's the carbon footprint of this vodka? <laughs> and, look, and in America, if they, I go to one more cocktail party and they serve me in plastic containers like I'm 19 again, I'm just going to throw a hissy fit. Not just on the plastic factor. Shaheen, Graham. How should consumers go about due diligence questions in this space? So I, I think there are so many different ways to do ESG. It's it's hard to pick one certain way. Uh, I do think the market is moving towards what one calls materiality, which is actually looking at what ESG metrics are financially material. So that's how I would do it if I were to do it. Uh, right now, every consumer should check their portfolio and say, in 2020, what can you have access to? You have so many more options. And all of those options, there's a green option where you don't just have to choose the brown option. And all the way to what have you aggressively want to do? You want to sail across the Atlantic? There's a company that's trying to launch sailboats again. So all the way from less brown to most green, there's opportunities. You need to speak to your advisor because the, the other gap in this is the intermediaries are underinformed and they're behind the curve on what's actually available. Annie, Shaheen, Graham, thanks for joining us on Trades. Oh, pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. You can find Annie at Antonia B. Massa, Shaheen at Shaheen underscore C and Graham at ESG Architect. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson and edited by Gerald Dillard. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.